0: but so that we could be intimately invested in each other's lives as an authentic covenant community. Again, thank you for listening. And if you want more information about Jacobswell Church, please visit our website at www.jacobswellgb.org. Lord God, as we come to your word today, pray, Lord, that you would help us to receive it humbly, Lord, uh, to receive it with all seriousness that is due to your word, Lord, that we would allow it to have its way with our hearts and our lives, that it would lead us not only to repentance, but also to joy. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever heard someone say, I should have seen the writing on the wall, or someone Worse, say, you should have seen the writing on the wall. That's a modern-day saying, idiom, um, that most of us don't want to hear, at least if it's directed towards us. And it traces its way back. Its roots are uh, all the way back 2,500 years ago to Daniel chapter 5, and that's what we will be studying today. So if you would, please open up to Daniel chapter 5. Uh, page 742 in the Red Bible. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one in the seat in front of you. If you don't own a Bible, that is for you to keep, and we are page 742 in that Red Bible. Uh, If you remember last week, we looked at Daniel chapter 4, and we saw this amazing conversion of one of the five most powerful men in the history of the world, King Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, Daniel chapter 4 is actually a testimony that he writes to the world to tell them uh, what he has found out about the Lord God. He says things like this. He says, How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and his dominion endures from generation to generation. And then Daniel chapter 4 ends with this. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven for all his works are right and his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. Now, between the end of Daniel chapter 4 and the beginning of Daniel chapter 5 is at least 23 years. And we know this because Daniel chapter 5 is written in 539 BC and Nebuchadnezzar died in 562 BC. So it's been at least 23 years, most likely more than that. Uh, Daniel is now about 83 years old and he is semi-retired from serving in the king's court. He has been captive for about seven decades, and Babylon has reigned for about a hundred years. Now, as we look at this chapter, as we think about Daniel chapter 5, this, this time period of 539 BC, um, I just need to give you some historical background, some more historical background. One of the things is during this time, the king of the Babylonian empire was a guy named Nabonidus. Nabonidus, Nabonidus was the, the king probably two or three kings after King Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar did something that was very interesting. He actually lived outside the city of Babylon uh, most of his reign. He was actually probably only in Babylon about 25% of the time. And since there was no Skype or FaceTime or, or phones or anything like that at that time, he established in Babylon his son to be king over that city. And his son's name, which is who we talk about today, is Belshazzar. And so one way to think about it is that Nabonidus was the king of all the Babylonian empire, while his son Belshazzar, under his authority, was the king of the city of Babylon and the area right around there. Now an interesting side note that I think is worth worth mentioning is that the name Belshazzar was not found in, in historical documents for a long time. And so many liberal scholars concluded that King Belshazzar, who we read about in Daniel 5, was simply a figment of the writer's imagination. He was just a made-up person. But in 1854, a British mogul was exploring some ruins in Iraq for the British Museum and found some inscriptions that contained a prayer for the long life and good health of King Nebuchadnezzar and his eldest son, Belshazzar. They found more evidence of Belshazzar's existence because they have found documents in which the parties would swear by the king and they would swear by Nabonidus and Belshazzar, the king's son. I just want to share that with you because I think on many occasions what we have found is that archaeology has disproved liberal scholarship and reaffirmed the historical accuracy of the scriptures that we have today. And so as we look at Daniel chapter 5, we can look at it and know this isn't a fictitious story. This is what actually happened in history according to the plan of God. Now, as we look at Daniel chapter 5, we're going to look at it in four parts. And as we look at it in four parts, just to let you know, this is a heavy chapter. It's not, it's not you know, ice cream and popcorn. It's, it's heavy stuff. Um, but as we look at it, it's so important for us to study Daniel chapter 5 because it reminds us that no matter what the political climate looks like in our world, Uh, no matter what earthly rulers are doing or not doing, no matter how silent God might seem for years on end, what we are reminded of in Daniel chapter 5 is that the Lord reigns and he is not to be trifled with. And so the first part of this story that we see is the mocking of God. Um, To avoid confusion before I start reading, you'll see here in this passage It refers to King Nebuchadnezzar as the father of King Belshazzar. Um, King Nebuchadnezzar was not the literal father of King Belshazzar, uh, but father means more or less predecessor, right? Like we talk about our father Abraham, right? He's not our literal blood father, but he is a father. Or we talk about our forefathers. And so when it talks about uh, Nebuchadnezzar, your father, it's talking about him as his predecessor. So let's look verses 1 through 4 together. taken out of the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his lords, his wives and his concubines drank from them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. What we read up here in this passage is a lavish lavish feast in Babylon. It was one of many lavish feasts in Babylon that were also, that that were all filled with all sorts of drunkenness and debauchery and licentiousness and sinfulness. In this instant, King Belshazzar takes it to a whole new level. After having plenty to drink, he decides that he wants to bring in the vessels from the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem. If you remember back in Daniel chapter one, I believe it was verse two, it talks about how King Nebuchadnezzar conquers Jerusalem and he takes the vessels out of the temple of God and brings them and puts them in the temples of his own God. And so now here King Belshazzar decides to take those vessels and use it for sinful, despicable, deplorable debauchery. And if you notice, Belshazzar leads thousands of people in this rebellion, including kings and lords and wives and concubines. And he does this to mock the Lord God and show the world that no lord of these slaves has authority over him. Let me put this in perspective. Imagine somebody came and they stole our Declaration of Independence, one of the the original copies. And they took it to a foreign land, and they decided to use it as toilet paper and videotape it and put it on the internet. How would that make you feel? It would make you angry, right? It would make us, it would make us respond with like all of our military force. We'd be insulted. We'd be offended because they are mocking our nation. What happens in Daniel 4 is actually far worse than that scenario. Because in Daniel chapter 4, he is not just mocking another person or another country. He's actually mocking the living God of the entire universe. While King Belshazzar's actions probably disgust us, the reality is all of us have mocked God to one extent or another. All of us have taken God's Holy things and use them for unholy purposes. For example, your body is a gift from God. It was created for holy purposes to glorify God. Furthermore, if you are a Christian, the Holy Spirit resides inside of you, and so you are the temple of the living God. Your body does not belong to you, it belongs to the Lord. And yet, who here has not used? The body God has given to us to do sinful things. 1 Corinthians, Corinthians chapter 6 puts it this way. Paul says, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. And then hear this. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Belshazzar desecrated the vessels of the temple of God. What Paul tells us is we are desecrating the temple of God itself. We are mocking God when we take what he has given to us for holy purposes and uses it for unholy. Holy things, and all of us are guilty of this. And then we move on to chapter five, and this gets pretty freaky, if you can imagine this. This is pretty crazy. Verse five says, immediately, that's without delay as they're using these vessels, immediately the finger of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace opposite the lampstand. And the king saw the hand as it wrote. Then the king's color changed, and his thoughts alarmed him. His limbs gave way. The King James Version actually say the joints of his loins were loosened. In other words, he peed in his pants, okay? And his knees knocked together. Verse 7. The king called loudly to bring in the enchanters, the Chaldeans and the astrologers. The king declared to the wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this writing and shows me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around his neck, both of which were very expensive things in that day, and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom, because he was the second ruler, so third would be next in line. Then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or make known to the king the interpretation. Then King Belshazzar was greatly alarmed, and his color changed, and his lords were perplexed. Notice here that King Belshazzar, who considered himself to be greater than the Lord and was mocking the Lord, thinking of himself to be invincible, the, the high man, And the world is greatly alarmed on on two occasions in this passage. The first occasion, I think, is easy to understand. It's when he sees a human finger appear and start writing on the wall. He gets extremely freaked out by this. But the second occasion is when his wise men are unable to tell him the interpretation. You see, in a similar way, when we, as image bearers of God, mock God by sinning against God, we often feel the weight of our sin and we become terrified of God. And we, this terror comes not because of riding on a wall, but often riding on our own conscience that God has given to us. Let me share with you this way. I, when I was a kid, if you've been here for a while, you've probably heard this story. But when I was a kid, um, I would ride the bus to and from school. And I was in third or fourth grade, somewhere in there, I can't remember. And uh, one day after school, I was getting on the bus, and I got on quickly so I could sit in one of those wheel well aisles. You know what I'm talking about, like the wheel bumps up a little bit. And the reason why I wanted to do that, because it was an unwritten rule. If you sit in that aisle, other kids can't sit with you, and you get that whole thing to yourself. And so I thought, okay, I'll, I'll do this. And so I sit there, and then some kid comes in, who evidently does not know about this unwritten rule, and he sits down right next to me. And I'm like, hey, you know, there's other seats open. Why don't you go to this seat or that seat? You know, there's a wheel well here. It's kind of crowded. He's like, no, I'm okay. And I'm sitting there thinking, oh, man, how do I get this kid to move? And so I was like, okay, maybe I can scare him away. And so what I did is I, I had in my backpack this little Ziploc bag of foreign coins. My dad traveled a lot. He'd bring home foreign coins. And so I had this little Ziploc bag full of foreign coins that I brought for show and tell. And my backpack was right there. And so I, what I did is I pulled that little Ziploc bag barely out of the bag, not so that he could, so I didn't want him to see the coins, but I pulled it out so he could see the top of the Ziploc bag. And I said to him, hey, would you like to buy drugs? I figured this might scare him away. It didn't. So we just continued with the bus ride. I didn't think much of it. And the night went along and my mom Calls me, hey Danny, can you come in here? By the way, none of you are able to say my name is Danny, all right? Dan Daniel's fine, not Danny. Danny, come in here. Yes, mom? Hey, how was school today? Oh, school was fine, you know, it's normal, whatever. How's the bus ride home? Buzz, oh, it's fine. Did you make any sales today? immediately I knew. (laughs) Immediately I knew I was guilty. I knew my sin, the weight just kind of fell upon me. I still remember the heaviness of that situation. And then she took me over to this boy's house who I didn't know, and I had to go and apologize to him. And as I was walking away, I just felt so heavy because of my guilt. I literally just fell to the ground. My ankles gave way. You know, sometimes we feel the weight of our sin, don't we? Like it's this heavy stone that is put upon us and we recognize our guilt and it's overwhelming not because it's written on a wall but because it's written on the conscience of our own hearts and do you know why in those times we feel guilty because we are guilty But you know, the wise men of the world today won't tell you that. They will tell you that religion is just this socially constructed system that men have put together to you know, appease the old and, and conform the young to certain patterns and certain behaviors and things like that, right? That, that really you can do away with religion because all it does is make us feel guilty. They will tell you this. The wise men of the world will say this to you. You don't need to feel guilty about what you're doing. But the problem is it's that our soul knows better than that. Our heart knows better than that. We know our guilt and it weighs us down and it plays itself out in many ways. Whether it be anxiousness, whether it be uh, our rudeness towards other people, our short-temperedness, our guilt weighs on us because we know that we are guilty. That's what we see here from Belshazzar. He mocks the Lord. He sees the writing on the wall. Is so afraid that he wets his pants. The worldly wise men can't tell him anything that is helpful, and his fear grows. And then comes the messenger of the Lord, who is far different than the wise men of Babylon. Verse 10 The queen, because of the words of the king and his lord, came into the banqueting hall, and the queen declared, O king, live forever. Let not your thoughts alarm you or your color change. Stop wetting your pants. Verse 11. There is a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. In the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods, were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, made him chief of the magicians, enchanters, Chaldeans, and astrologers. Because in excellent spirit, knowledge, and understanding to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve problems, were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belshazzar. Not to be confused with the king's name, which is Belshazzar. Uh, Daniel's Babylonian name has a T in it, just to not get confused. His name's Belshazzar. Now let Daniel be called, and he will show the interpretation. You know, one of the things that amazes me about this passage is Daniel's reputation in the midst of foreign Babylon. I don't know if you saw what the queen said here about Daniel, but she said, in whom is the spirit of the holy gods? Her theology is not perfect, but she seems to be on the right track, right? That That the spirit of God dwells with inside Daniel so that he can provide wisdom and insight and interpretation. This is the reputation that Daniel has. Verse 13, Then Daniel was brought in before the king. The king answered and said to Daniel, You are that Daniel, one of the exiles of Judah, whom the king my father brought from Judah. I have heard of you that the spirit of the gods is in you, and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. Now the wise men, the enchanters, have been brought in before me to read this writing and make known to me its interpretation. But they could not show the interpretation of the matter. But I have heard that you can give interpretations and solve problems. You know, I asked this question last week, and I think it's worth asking again, because King Nebuchadnezzar did the same thing. You know, what's so interesting about these kings is is they have these wise men of Babylon who are obviously flawed, obviously provide uh, not very good feedback or no feedback at all. And then you have Daniel, who has a perfect record. And you wonder, why do the kings go to the rest of the wise men of Babylon before they go to the best wise men of Babylon? And it's a reminder, again, that they are simply defying against the Lord God. They don't want to be dependent on the Lord God, who they were just mocking. And so they go to the rest, but finally they come to the best. They come to Daniel. And Daniel is going to give him an interpretation. Verse 16 says this, uh, the second part, it says, now if you can read the writing and make known to me its interpretation, you shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around your neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then Daniel answered and said before the king, let your gifts be for yourself and give your rewards to another. Nevertheless, I will read the writing to the king and make known to him the interpretation." You know, it's so ironic here, the wise men of Babylon that are seeking riches, that are seeking status, don't have an interpretation to give to the king. And yet Daniel, who could care less about those things, is the one who does have the interpretation. You see, the king offers all of these gifts to Daniel because he is seeking not only for Daniel to give an interpretation, but also a favorable interpretation of the writing on the wall. And the way that Daniel responds here is basically saying, hey, you can take your gifts and you know what you can do with it, give them to other people and all that other stuff. Daniel is declaring that the word of God, the message of God, the messenger of God cannot be purchased. This is one of the signs of a true messenger of God, that he will not only give the good news and the happy news of the gospel, which we are called to give, but he will also give the hard news and the bad news that leads us to the gospel. He will give hard news even at the jeopardy of his own physical or financial or relational security. This is seen throughout the scriptures. When the prophets bring the word of God, they're dismissed, harassed, and persecuted because they proclaim the whole of God's message and not just the parts. Speaking the truth is hard. It takes courage. But it's what God has called His people to do. You know, I remember several years ago there was a gentleman that was a part of our church, and um, and he was living a lifestyle that was extremely self-destructive, not only to himself but to those around him. And so we sat down and we're talking about it, and started asking him what he thought the Lord thought of these things. And I think he came to the realization pretty quickly that this is not something that pleases the Lord. But then he would justify it for all sorts of reasons. And we would look at the scriptures and things like that. And I was just showing him that what he is doing is destructive and it is a mockery to God. I was doing gently, lovingly, compassionately. But we ended our, our meeting and we left. And, and then he kind of disappeared for a while. And he lived out that lifestyle and found out how destructive and painful it was. And then he started coming back to church. And he told one of the fellow churchmen, he said, you know what? When I left that meeting with Pastor Dan, I was so angry at him. But what I found out is it was all true. God's word is true. You know, it doesn't matter if you are a preacher, a small group leader, or a lay person, whether you are a man or a woman, an adult or a child, whether you are an extrovert or even an introvert. If you are a Christian, you are called to be messengers of God. Yes, to proclaim the good news of the gospel, but also the unpopular news of sin, of self-destructiveness. I'm curious, is there anyone in your life You know, I'm a conflict avoider. Those things are hard for me. I wonder, maybe you're the same way. Is there anyone in your life that you know is caught in self-destructive sin, that you need to come along graciously, humbly, patiently, lovingly, and say, listen, I'm looking at what's going on in your life, and it is not good. It is offensive to God, and it is destructive to you and to those around you. Maybe God is calling you, to be courageous. Maybe God is calling you to go and to share with them the knowledge and the wisdom and the word of God. So far we've seen the writing on the wall, the mocking of God which leads to terror of God because of our guilt, the messenger of God who speaks all of God's truth even when it is difficult. Thirdly, we see the message of God. You know, it's interesting because Daniel does not start simply by translating the interpretation of, of the writing on the wall. But Daniel starts by telling the king a story, a story that the king actually knows about but has failed to remember. Verse 18 says, O king, the most high God, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar, your father, kingship, And greatness, and glory, and majesty. And because of the greatness that he gave him, all peoples, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him. Whom he would, he killed, and whom he would, he kept alive. Whom he would, he raised up, and whom he would, he humbled. Talking about King Nebuchadnezzar. But when his heart was lifted up, and his spirit was hardened, so that he dealt proudly, He was brought down from his kingly throne, and his glory was taken from him. I don't know if you remember from last week, but God actually gave him a mental illness where he believed himself to be an animal, and he lived with wild animals for a season. Verse 21, he was driven from among the children of mankind, and his mind was made like that of a beast, and his dwelling was with the wild donkeys. He was fed grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven. And then here's the purpose for all of this. Really the purpose of the whole book of Daniel. Until he knew that the most high God rules. Until he knew that the most high God rules the kingdom of mankind. And sets over it whom he will. And you his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart. And then listen closely though you knew all this. (laughs) Daniel begins with the story of King Nebuchadnezzar because it is a testimony that King Belshazzar is supposed to remember, not only in his head, but in his heart, and know that the Most High God rules over all men and humble himself before the Lord God. You know, throughout scriptures, we are given a command time and time and time again to remember, to remember what God has done, to remember what God has done for us, to remember who God is, to remember how God loves us. If you look in Deuteronomy chapter five, God says, you shall remember, this is a command, you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Deuteronomy seven, God says, you shall not be afraid of them, but you shall remember what the Lord your God did to Pharaoh and to all Egypt. You know, much of the Bible is written so that we will know, cherish, and remember who God is and what he has done. We are to remember because when we remember what God has done, then we appreciate God. And when we appreciate God, then we seek to be faithful to God instead of mocking God. In a lesser way, this is what we do with all of our holidays or a lot of our holidays here in America. You know, we have Memorial Day. We have Father's Day. We have Mother's Day. It's a time to remember what others have done for us, to appreciate what they have done to us, and to honor them and not mock them, right? In the same way, we're called to remember the things that God has done for the people of God and even in our own life. And the reason why we are commanded to remember And I hate to state the obvious, but the reason why we're commanded to remember is because we so quickly forget. We so quickly forget what God has done for us. And so, let me ask, do you work to remember the works of God and the person of God in your life? You can do this by reading the scriptures and seeing the testimony of the saints throughout the generations. You can do this simply by praying and thanking God for all the things he is doing in your life, by keeping a prayer journal, writing down a testimony of what God has done, by sharing your testimony with others and having them share with you. These are ways that we remember who God is and what he has done. Now, as we look at King Belshazzar, what we find out is that he knows what God did with King Nebuchadnezzar. He knows it in his head but he has not remembered it and pondered it and treasured it in his heart. And so Daniel very directly points out his guilt. Notice, I'll read verse 22 through 23. Just notice how many times it says the word you or your or some conjugation of you. Verse 22, and you, his son Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart Though you knew all this, but you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven. And the vessels of his house have been brought in before you. And you and your lords, your wives, and your concubines have drunk wine from them. And you have praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone. And I love this part. Which do not see or hear or know, but the God in whose hand is your breath and whose are all your ways, you have not honored. Do you hear the unpopular message of Daniel to King Belshazzar? He's saying, You know that the Lord humbled King Nebuchadnezzar. You know that he is all-powerful, and yet you still raised up against the Lord, refusing to acknowledge the Lord as the most high God. Like a fool, you have worshipped inanimate, lifeless objects, while at the same time you have mocked the living God who gives you every single breath you have. Friends, forgetting the works of God and suppressing the truth of God is not just Belshazzar's condition. It is the human condition. Romans chapter 1, which I think we referred to last week as well, talks about our forgetting God or our suppressing the truth about God. It says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. In other words, we know the truth in our head, but we suppress it in our heart. How do we do that? 19, for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So as we look at creation, as we look at a leaf, as we look at a blade of grass, as we look at a baby, as we look at the stars, as we look at the universe, what it declares to us is that there is an intelligent designer who is amazing. And yet we have suppressed that truth. And it says, goes on and says, So they are without excuse, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fool, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Stuff made out of wood and stone and metal, just like King Belshazzar. See, Belshazzar's condition, again, is not an isolated incident. It is a human condition. Left to ourselves, we reject the Lord God by suppressing the truth that he reigns over all things. And then because we don't worship the Lord and because we cannot not worship, it's impossible for us not to worship, we go and we worship other inanimate objects or other people and other things. We have forgotten the reality of God's awesomeness. We have mocked him by rejecting him and turning to created things instead of the creator. And we have taken the holy things of God he has given to us and used them for unholy purposes. And what we see as we continue to read is that God is not indifferent towards our sin. He's not indifferent towards our mocking of him. It stirs his just and mighty wrath. Look at verse 24. Then from his presence, the hand was sent, and this writing was inscribed. And this is the writing that was inscribed. Many, many, tekel and parson. This is the interpretation of the matter. Many, God had numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. That's not good news. That's judgment. Why judgment? Tekel, you have been weighed in the balances and found Wanting. Can you picture this? A a balance, an old balance, you know, the the old scales that they used to have. You put one weight on this side, one weight on that side. And what he's saying is that in comparison to the righteousness God requires, you have been left, you have been found wanting, right? Spiritually, morally, ethically. That's true of all of us, right? All of us have been found wanting. You know, I think of my own life where, where there were times where I've been found wanting when I, when I was pursuing ordination in this denomination. It's a pretty rigorous process, and, and you're examining theology, and Bible, and church history, and all of these things, and, and they're asking me questions about Bible, and, and I kept finding myself saying, I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Am I still gonna pass? I don't know, right? Like, who is Jesus? I don't know. No, I got that one right, but, but like, I don't know, right? And, and, and at the end, there's like, well, you've been found wanting, so go study some more, and come back to me, I mean, Michigan State was found wanting yesterday as well, if you saw that game, right? So, we're so often found wanting, but where it is most serious is when we stand before a holy, righteous God. He says, what I demand of you is complete obedience, complete perfection, lest you endure my just judgment. And we are found wanting. Verse 28, press, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Then Belshazzar gave the command, and Daniel was clothed with purple. A chain of gold was put around his neck, and a proclamation was made about him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. Just for a little bit. Verse 30, that very night, the same night that Belshazzar mocked the Lord God, the same night that the writing was on the wall, the same night that Daniel pronounces judgment, that very night, Belshazzar, the Chaldean king, was killed, and Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. Historians tell us that the night of the feast in Daniel chapter 5, Darius and the Medes and the military that was with him was just outside the walls of Babylon. And most likely, Belshazzar knew they were there. They would have people on the lookout watching for these things. And instead of assembling his troops to fight against or to defend Babylon, he decided to throw this great feast. And the reason why he decided to grow this great feast is because. Babylon was unbreachable. It was indestructible. It was unpenetrable. The city actually had three walls around it, anywhere from 100 feet to 300 feet high. The walls were anywhere from 32 feet wide to 85 feet wide. These walls were unpenetrable. Belshazzar was confident in the security that he and his predecessors had built. He thought himself to be indestructible, to be outside the reach of God's judgment. And yet God, in his sovereign plan, by his mighty hand, many years before, raised up the Medo-Persian Empire and moved the troops to be outside of Babylon on this very night so that he could exact his justice upon Belshazzar when he mocked the Lord God. Not only that, but the Lord showed the Medes a way to get into the city. They dammed up the river, and when the river dropped low enough, they floated in, and they went in, and they captured and killed the king as a plan of the justice of God. To Belshazzar, the Lord God seemed silent and non-existent for over two decades, but then he aroused God's Anger and judgment came because there is no city so great, no walls so big, no king so powerful that they can stop our mighty God from executing his judgment. You know, Daniel chapter 5 is King Belshazzar's judgment day. Did you know that we all have a judgment day? That you have a judgment day, I have a judgment day in which we will stand before a holy God. And the scales will be pulled out in which God will determine if we are perfectly righteous. And all of us will be found wanting in and of ourselves. But here's the good news. The God who is mighty enough to bring down the empire and the king of Babylon in judgment is also mighty enough to save us from our sins. You see, verse 31, there is this sparkle of good news Because of the death and judgment of Belshazzar, the Jews would now be under new management. They would be under the Medo-Persian Empire. And the Medo-Persian Empire would allow them to go home, to go back to Jerusalem, to rebuild the wall, to rebuild the temple. As a matter of fact, the Persians would actually financially help them to make it happen. Through the judgment and death of this horrible, sinful, rebellious man, Belshazzar, Israel would be able to go home again. Our freedom, our hope to go to our eternal home is also tied to the death of a single man. Not a horrible, wicked man like Belshazzar, but a perfectly righteous man. The Holy One, Jesus Christ, who is God in the flesh. For he too came amongst his creation and was mocked by his creation. They spat upon him. The soldiers put a crown of thorns on him and beat him to a pulp. And then they hung him to die on the cross. And why did God ordain that this should happen? Because of the writing on the wall. Because of your sin. Because of your guilt. Because of the judgment you deserve. We have read in the Bible that the wages of sin is death. This is what you deserve. And yet at the cross, for those who trust in Christ, he has taken that writing on the wall. He has taken the punishment upon himself and he has risen from the dead so that we are under new management. We are under the authority of the Lord God who will not only bring us home one day, but who has paid for it in full with the blood of his only son, Jesus Christ. Let me end with this. I'm running out of time, but it's interesting. You look at King Nebuchadnezzar and King Belshazzar. They're very similar men. They're both very powerful, very arrogant, very self-centered, and they both rejected the Lord God on many occasions. And yet one of them comes to faith in the Lord and is saved, and the other does not. The other endures the divine judgment of God. And the question is, why does one get saved and the other does not? And it's simply because King Belshazzar got what he deserved and King Nebuchadnezzar did not. King Belshazzar got the swift, fair justice of God. King Nebuchadnezzar got the unfair, gracious, patience, mercy of God who humbled Nebuchadnezzar, converted Nebuchadnezzar, and drew Nebuchadnezzar to himself. Friends, if you are alive today, and by the looks of it, most of you are, if you are alive today, it is by the mercy of God. If you do not trust in Christ for your salvation, the judgment that came upon King Belshazzar will seem like nothing. You do not know how long you have. King Belshazzar did not know how long he had. The judgment of God is coming, but he has extended to you grace to be alive, to hear this message, to know about God, and to trust in Christ for your salvation. Do it today. Because you do not know when you are appointed to die, and once you die, you will face judgment. Trust in Christ for your salvation. Let's pray. Lord, We confess that we, like King Belshazzar, have mocked you with our actions, in our hearts, with our words. We have lived like you don't exist, like you don't have authority over us. We forget about you, we forget about the great things you have done, and we chase after other gods. Thank you for your grace that we are alive today to hear and to know the gospel And to trust in Christ for our salvation. Help us, Lord, to not airbrush sin. To not airbrush our mockery of you, God. To see it with the seriousness you do. But also to revel in great joy of the gospel of grace and your love for us in Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.